Good morning. My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here this morning, that you chose to be with us uh, this morning. Um, and one of the things that we get to do here uh, at the beginning of our service uh, is to pray for other churches, whether they're existing churches or churches that are uh, being planted or ones that we have on the horizons. And so we want to pray for other churches. We want to pray for mission opportunities that we may have. And so when you hear us praying for Seymour Johnson, um, just a couple of weeks ago we prayed for uh, Cherry Point, which is Havelock, which is about an hour away from here. Uh, Seymour Johnson is about an hour and a half away from here. And then uh, just last week we prayed for Fort Bragg, which is about two hours, uh, two and a half hours from here. And so we're, we are looking, actively seeking to plant churches in our uh, Judea, uh, to, to, to be witnesses in our state, in our area of focus, is to plant churches around those installations. So when we bring those things to you to pray for, to, to think about, to be uh, mindful of, we are bringing those to you not so that we can just pray from the front that they, those things would happen, that they would be in existence. No, that you would take notes, that you would be able to pray for those things throughout the week, that you would be praying for Cherry Point, that a church would be started there. So not long after praying about Cherry Point, uh, we went and had a meeting there with some, uh, some local uh, missionaries that are there, some local uh, guys from our state convention. And man, one thing that was evident is that there is a need for more gospel churches in Cherry Point, around Cherry Point, around Moorhead City and Newburn. And then just this past week, a few of us went to a conference at Fort Bragg. And man, the conference was amazing in that I, the unity that was around the fact that we need more churches around uh, Fayetteville and Fort Bragg area, is a, uh, it was evident. It was so evident. And so that as you continue to pray for those things, that even, even as we look to maybe plant possibly here in the near future in Cherry Point, and as you look and think about the possibilities of us planting in Fort Bragg and us planting in Seymour Johnson, that you'll be praying for that. You'll be praying for gospel advance uh, for that to happen. So that has nothing to do with my sermon, but I think it's really important that we're thinking about praying for those things. So as Eddie read for us in Judges chapter 6, as we read from about the story of Gideon, I think the story of Gideon is reflective of our own hearts. So as you get into Judges chapter 6, we'll be in the book of John here in just a second, but uh, as in Judges chapter 6, Gideon says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I'm laying out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. There's, a, there's something about Gideon's statement here that needs to be addressed. If you will save Israel. The thing about it is God's already promised Gideon that He would save Israel through whom? Gideon. He's already told Gideon. He's already told him that when he raised him up... Now, the thing, interesting thing to note about Gideon is that he is the least person in the least tribe, which makes him what? the least person of anywhere. But God raises him up and uses him 
to bring about the salvation of the Israelites. But yet, here is Gideon questioning God and saying, hey God, if you will do this, hey, I'm going to throw out a fleece. Everything else is dry, but the fleece is wet. And God does as he asked, as Gideon asked. So when he rose early the next morning, he, he, he gets out and he rings the dew off, and then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. And what we read here from Gideon, capturing Gideon's heart, once more, Lord, I just need affirmation. I need to know that what I'm doing is sure and true. But God's already promised it. God's already brought about the promises for Gideon. So we are like this. We seek signs of confirmation. God, if you will just do this for me. We do so with a heart that is discontent towards the promises of God. Discontent towards God's way for us. Discontent with the direction that God has for us. So what do we do? We throw out the fleece and we say, hey God, like, I hate to put you to the test, but if you'll just do this for me and answer this question for me, then I'll follow you. I just wonder how much of that's in our heart, this discontent in our hearts that we seek after signs, we seek after things that can tell us exactly what it is that we need to do. But Deuteronomy 6 tells us that you should not put your Lord God to the test. Gideon knew this, but yet he does it anyway. Why? Because his heart is discontent. So as we turn to the book of John, John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. John chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one up underneath your seat. I believe it's on page 834, John chapter 2. We'll be reading from uh, verses 12 through 25 this morning. John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. We've been working through the book of John. The main idea has been this, that, that... you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. You need a reference first for that. This is John 20, 21, kind of where we capture this idea, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may have life. We're going to start in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables, And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews responded, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them, because He knew all people, needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. We pray for us as we get started. Jesus, thank you for the goodness of your word. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts, or that you would open our eyes and our ears to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. Thank you for, again for just this opportunity that we have to gather together and worship you in truth and in spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the main idea of this text is this, that Jesus displays the heart of God Jesus displays the heart of God while revealing the heart of man. Jesus displays the heart of God while revealing the heart of man. My two points actually come off of this main idea, which is this. First one is Jesus displays a heart of right worship. Jesus displays a heart of right worship. The second is this, Jesus reveals the heart of man. Jesus displays the heart of right worship or the heart of God in right worship. And Jesus reveals the true heart of man. So we go into verse 13. Jesus is coming from Capernaum. He is coming up to Jerusalem during the time of Passover. So Passover is a feast that is celebrated in remembrance of the Israelites being delivered from Egyptian bondage. It was required that every male age 12 and up would attend the Passover, and a male lamb without blemish would be sacrificed to the Lord and eaten along with bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter slavery that the Egyptians inflicted. And then they would celebrate a week of unleavened bread, or a feast of unleavened, unleavened bread. And so Jesus comes up into Passover where all these males that would be coming and their families usually would come up into the Passover and they would come to the temple complex and they would bring their um, uh, uh, unblemished lambs into the temple and when Jesus and His disciples walk in, He finds them selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And He saw money changers sitting there. And so Jesus, in response to this, He, he makes a whip of cords. And He starts driving them all out of the temple. Everything, including the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturns their tables. And he tells them to get out of his father's house. This is a house not of trade, but of prayer and of worship that should be done rightly. And we get this remembrance of Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. This is the Messiah, the, the one who is to come. If you remember from last week, our story about Martin Luther, who sought to bring about reform to a very broken way of worship in the Catholic Church. 
He sought to bring about reform because he saw that he wanted to fight against the selling of indulgences in his church that would lead people into eternity. Jesus walks into the temple and he sees it's become a house of trade. He drives them out with zeal and passion. You see, God's house is for prayer. God's house is meant for worship. It's no different for us as we gather together. As we come and we gather as the saints of His church, of His one body, members of one body, that we come and we celebrate the risen Savior. That we rejoice over the Gospel. That we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to Him. That we preach the Word and we pray together. And I wonder, I ask the question, does zeal for God's house consume you? Do you have a zeal and a passion for God's church? To protect her. To protect the very bride of Christ that, he, that God, Jesus as the bridegroom is, is, is going to bring her into as splendor and without blemish or spot or wrinkle. And I wonder if the zeal for God's house consumes us. Paul writing to church in Galatia. There's a false teaching that's happening. There's a false doctrine that is infiltrating the church. And Paul writes to the church and he says this to them. But there are some who trouble you. There are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, this is Paul and all the leaders of the church, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you care enough about this church that if I stood up this morning and I preached a gospel contrary to the one that is laid out in Scripture, would zeal for your house, zeal for the house of God, consume you? Would it consume you enough to come up here and take me off stage and then somebody else preach the Word? Or would you sit there and would you listen to the false teaching? Would you hear it because this guy has something to say? Or are you participating? Are you listening? Are you involved in temple and the worship of God? Because they had made His house a house for trade. Jesus cares about right worship. This was the place where God's Spirit was supposed to be residing. This is a place where people came into, into the courtyard to, to worship God, the Yahweh, the one true God, and they had made it a house of trade. There had been 400 years of silence from the time of the last prophet to about the time of now that we're at in this story. 
in that time, they had, the people had just gone wayward. They had started following after um, hypocritical teachings. They had put bindings on, on, on the people that there was too much to bear. They had taken away the freedom to just worship God for who He was. And so they bring these things in for trade to make money off of, off of people who would not be able to bring in their own unblemished lambs or pigeons or doves or whatever it is, oxen and sheep you see here. And so Jesus comes in and He says, listen, I'm zealous for the house. I'm zealous for the church. I'm so zealous that I'll die for her. And I just wonder if we can say the same. If I look in introspective, if I can say the same, that I care so much about the church, that zeal for it would consume me. I think we're too lethargic in the way that we view the church. I don't think passion and zeal are what describes the church today for the most part. But I wonder if this is right for us. That church would not be something that we take for granted. That the people gathered around you sitting in seats beside you right now, that we would encourage one another to, to, to have passion for this gospel, for this word, to, that, we would, that we would seek to, to abstain from sin and, and to seek after what is what is righteous and good and holy. And we would spur one another on to do these things because of zeal for the bride of Christ. To the display, Jesus displays God's heart towards right worship. He also displays God's heart towards sin here as we think about this. God's heart towards sin. Jesus has righteous indignation. Righteous indignation when it comes to protecting church from sinful actions. We should be helping others to fight sin in a way that we would, that we would join them in the fight. That we would help others to be angry, but not sinful. Be angry over sin. They would hate sin the way God does. That we would abhor it the way God does. Not embrace it. Jesus displays the heart of God when He cleanses the temple from sinful actions, from wrong worship. And He calls us to do the same. That we be zealous for His house. And then my second point is this. Jesus reveals. So He displays the heart of God. But He reveals the heart of man. To the Jews, verse 18, said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? They, show me a sign. Who are you? What right do you have to come into our temple and to turn over tables and to pour out our change and to run off the sheep in the auction? Do you not know that we're making money? Well, how dare you send this out? Send these people out from the temple complex. But the sign that they were looking for was already in the Scriptures. If they just read their Bibles, if they just understood the Scriptures. Malachi 3.1 tells us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will, pray, he will prepare the way before me. Who is that? Who's the messenger that will prepare the way for you? 
before him. John the Baptist, right? So, okay, we've already seen John the Baptist. We've met John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, the Messiah that you're looking for, he will come into your temple. He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He is coming. But like most things, they can't see what's right in front of them. They just showed me a sign. What, what sign do you give for coming in here and doing these things? So Jesus says, okay, I'll show you a sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That was, okay, that's your sign? Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of His body. So we put value and worth in the things that we can see, right? The things that someone can do for us adds value to us. Or for us. But I just wonder how many of us miss what's right in front of us. The gospel, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That He is right in front of us. But yet we seek all these signs and all these wonders and if you'll just show me, we're like Thomas. I won't believe until I see the, 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 the scars in His hands and the scars on His feet. And not until then will I believe that Jesus has been resurrected. And that's us. A lot of times that's us. Unless Jesus does something spectacular in our lives, we have a hard time in the mundane. A hard time in the, in the day-to-day. And a hard time uh, not putting value in Jesus. And in His Word. We need more. I want more. I want to do more. I want to see more. I want to know more. We just put in the work to, 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 to read His Scriptures to understand who He is. We'd see Him. How many of you are familiar with these little guys? Does anybody know what this is? This is a beanie baby. Does anybody know uh, how valuable this is right here? Anybody got a clue? Ten bucks. Good, Andrew. That's probably about what it is. Does anybody know how it got its value? I'm sorry, what? You look on the tag? Say again? Keeping the tag. Okay, so keeping the tag tells me its value. Okay. The reason that we know the value of something like this is because the guy who created these created a price guide. And in the price guide, he created what these would be worth. Something that's a little cloth, right? It's got little beanie bags inside. But he said what these things would be, what the value would be. And it's based on a false dichotomy. That we put value in stuff, in things like this, that's a phenomenon. Thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars people have made on these little things because they put value in something that's not, of va- something that's not going to last. That's temporal. And here's what Jesus is saying. The temple 
is temporal. The, the physical building that you see, this church, many times we'll say this, the church, this, this church, this building, is not the church of Pillar Church. The church is its people. It's are her members. You are the church. And so when, when they come and they say, listen, I, I, this temple, what, how, are you going to destroy it in 46 years to build it? And you're going to destroy it in three days and build it back up in three days? We forget that Jesus, He is the one of value. He is the one of most value, of infinite value for us as Christians. He reveals our own hearts. By telling us and showing us the goodness of the gospel here. If you'll destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing to the destruction of his own body. He's pointing to the good news of the gospel. That reminds us that Jesus is the true temple. R.C. Sproul says this, Christ is the temple. And all men are commanded to come to Him in order to worship and serve the one true God. So we gather together to do what? To serve and to worship the one true God. Through Christ Jesus and His work on the cross. That His body would, would die and be destroyed and three days later be raised up again. That's why we come and worship. That's why we gather together here to be surrounded and to remind ourselves of this good news that Jesus is the true temple. He is deserving of our worth, of our value, of our worship for His glory. But we forget. And many times we are like verse 23 and 24 and 25. Look at what it says. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on, him, on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. This is true. Jesus knows you. It's the title of my sermon, right? Jesus knows you. He knew Nathaniel when he was under the tree and what he was doing. He knew, he knew Simon when he drew him in and when he, when he renamed him Peter. Clayton brought up the, the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, right? He's like, how do you know me? He's like, not only do I know you, I know you have five husbands and the one you're, not, and the one you're with now is not your, the one you're living with now is not your husband. I know you. So Jesus knows all people. And listen, He needed no one to bear witness about man. For He Himself knew what was in man. So the question is, what is in man? Well, Jeremiah tells us that what is in man is the, that our heart is deceitful above all things. 
that, we, that our heart is desperately sick. Who can understand? Like our, our hearts are deceitful above all things. They are desperately wicked. Mark 7, 21 says, From within man, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is your heart. This is what is in man. That we are wicked. We are depraved. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was brought forth in sin, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. That we are from the womb deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So when Jesus says, That he needed no one to bear witness about man. He knows what's in man. He knows what's in you. He knows your propensity. He knows what your sins are. He sees all. He knows all. He needs no one to bear witness. Because he knows what's in man. That your heart is wicked. We just sang the song, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. That is us. That is us. That is natural man. So why, how does Jesus know? Like, how, how does many believed in His name? They, they saw the signs that He was doing and they believed. But yet, what happened? Jesus did not entrust Himself to them. So the, the same word, that, the same Greek word, many believed His name, and then in verse 24, Jesus on His part did not entrust. Those are the same Greek words. So Jesus, uh, the, the people believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. This is not a saving faith. This is a faith in the outward signs that you've been shown. And it's built on a house of cards. Because it's the person and the work and the temple of Christ that saves you, nothing else. See, we want Jesus because we think He can give us stuff. He can do something for me. He, he's my free, get out of jail free, get out of hell free card, right? That's Jesus for many of us. He's like a genie in a bottle making all of our dreams come true. See, we want prosperity, we want health, we want a life of ease. We want, we, we want anything else that can make our lives and, uh, easier and our wishes come true. And that's what we've created in Jesus a lot of, a lot of times. This genie in a bottle, we can rub the lamp and it will, all my wishes will come true. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus because... He, people were so enamored by the signs. We're so enamored by the outward expressions. We're so enamored by, look at all these things. It's an inward heart. Jesus looks at the heart of man. And we're going to see this next week in the book of Nicodemus, in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. 
This word man gets mentioned six or seven times because Jesus is referring to the natural man. There's going to be a natural succession here of this thought. Do you know why televangelists on TV are so rich? You want to know why they're so rich? Do you all have any idea why they're so rich? It's because we want to believe what they say. We, we love the outward signs. We love the fact that, that if I just give some of my money over here, seed money they call it, televangelists, send me your seed money and you'll plant a seed and that money will grow to an infinite value. The only person that's profited from your seed money is the televangelist. But do you know why we're so easily duped? Because we love the outward signs. We love the fact that I can have health and wealth and prosperity and Jesus can be a crutch and it's beautiful. The Bible doesn't express that that's the way we're supposed to live. Or that's the way that we're even supposed to think about the gospel. But Jesus knows what's in our heart. What he's saying here. I know that you want the outward signs, but I know what's in your heart. I know your desires. I know you. And outside of me, you're wicked. That you're prone to wander. That's what's in the heart of man. So, what shall we do? What does God call us to? So turn with me to Luke 9, as we get ready to close. Luke 9. So if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, that's just back. One more book. Verse 23. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's the question for us. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world? If you had all the money in the world, what would it profit you? How would it save you? What would it do for you? But Jesus... Jesus' gospel is antithetical to what we think about when we think about the American dream. When we think about who Jesus is, the person and work of Jesus. It shouldn't be that our, how can he provide for me? How can he do all these things for me? How can he be a checkoff for me? All these lists for me? But no, the person and the work of Christ. And we would lay down our lives and follow him. That we would take up our crosses daily. 
That we would lose our lives for the, for the sake of saving. That's the gospel. So as we begin to come to the Lord's table, I want us to remember verse 22. When therefore He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this. And they believed the Scripture and the Word that Jesus had spoken. They believed this was a saving faith. They believed in the person and the work of Christ because of what He has done on the cross. So 2 Corinthians 13 says that we need to examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, it says. Or do you not realize this that, about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Is He in you? Is the, do you believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Is He in you? Do you have an affection for Christ? Do you love Him? Do you love His Word? Or is He just something else for you? Do you believe as the apostles, the disciples here believed? Do you believe that Jesus is the Passover Lamb? That Jesus is the spotless, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God? That during the time of Passover, they, would, they took the blood of the Lamb and they put it on their doorpost so that the, the, the Spirit of God would pass over them and save them from certain death. Do you believe in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That His body was broken, His blood was shed for you? Do you believe this? That the blood of Christ covers a multitude of sins? And that by confessing, that by believing by faith, by receiving what is said, by believing by faith, confessing your sins, repenting and turn away from, from your sinfulness, the promise is, is that you are sure to be saved. So we trust in the promises of God. We trust in the promises that come from His Scripture. So as the musicians come, I just wonder if we would reflect on this, that we would remember what Christ has done for us. That we would examine ourselves. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have put your faith in saving faith in Christ Jesus, the person and work of Christ, that you are free to take with us. But just one, a couple of notes of caution. One is that if you're living in sin, the Bible is really clear that you take this time to either reflect on that sin and repent of it, turn away from it, use this time to do that. But if you're living in sin that you can't turn from, that you're, you're living in, you know it's there, and it's taken a root inside of your heart, then I would just ask you to refrain because the Bible says you bring judgment on your head when you do this. So you examine yourself that you would see if you're in the faith. You do not have to be a member of this church to, to take with us just... 
you just have to have made a profession that Christ is Lord and Savior. That He is your all in all. That the one that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. That you can say, I've done that. And I'm living in light of this reality. So we're going to do a little bit different this week. We're going to do one song. So come up in this, during this song, you want to come up and you want to grab the elements, one cracker, one juice. Uh, we also have a gluten-free option up here on the little paper plate behind it if you're gluten-free, need gluten-free. But during this next song, we're going to do that. I realized the last couple of times it's, it's a long time to stand there with juice and crackers when you got kids for two songs. So we're just going to do one song this week, so just make an effort to come up during this next song as we sing and rejoice together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the good news of salvation, even the, the, the remembrance and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Your body broken and your blood shed. Your temple destroyed. Your temple resurrected. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, will you stand?